Hello and welcome to H2 Orthopedics. My name is Mike Begg. I'm a certified physician assistant, a certified athletic trainer. I have a doctorate degree in medical science and over 30 years of experience in sports medicine, orthopedics, and medical education. My goal is to take your orthopedic diagnosis or injury and help you make sense of it. Welcome to H2 Orthopedics. Welcome to today's episode of H2 Orthopedics. My name is Mike. I am your host. And we are here today for part two of the ACL uh, discussion. So uh, part one, we discussed the ACL normal anatomy, uh, the injury, what happens, the, so the injured anatomy, and the workup or the evaluation that leads to the diagnosis of the ACL injury or rupture. And today's episode, we're going to talk about the treatment options, uh, mainly surgical. We'll briefly touch on the uh, non-operative options, but uh, the surgical options is what we'll focus on uh, because typically, not always, but typically that's where uh, the recommendation goes regarding uh, you know recovery from an ACL injury if it's a full thickness tear. We talked again about the, the location of the tear, uh, usually tearing mid-substance to proximal or up above where it attaches to the femur. It's possible to have a partial versus a full thickness tear, and it's possible to pull the, the ligament off the bone up at the femur where it attaches. If you're a younger patient or younger athlete and you have an ACL injury, it's possible that the bone would have, have failed and you have what's called an avulsion or the bone lifts off or the bone fails versus the ligament failing. So those are the, the basic type of tears we talked about uh, back in that first episode. I think it's worth reviewing. It's, I don't know, 20 minutes long. But I broke this up into two parts because I don't want to get too long, uh, lose your attention or get distracted, which is easy for me to do. Um, so I just wanted to, to break it up. So here's this today's uh, today's episode is more about the treatment options. And again, we'll primarily focus on surgical. That's because that's where most of the questions are. That being said, there is an option to treat this non-operatively. You can have an ACL injury, whether it's a partial tear or a full tear, uh, and that doesn't mandate you to go to the operating room. Obviously, uh, it's your choice, and, uh, and oftentimes, you know, I'll say it out loud or I think it all the time, you know, in orthopedics and sports medicine, uh, what we do, we're saving lifestyles. We're not saving lives, uh, but oftentimes saving a lifestyle is uh, just as important to the patient uh, because they want to live what you know, live the active life that they desire, not be limited by an injury or, or a condition. So, uh, but there is an opportunity to treat an ACL injury in a non-operative fashion. What you need to accept is that you put other structures in that knee at risk, and this may, you know, create an issue where you end up in the operating room anyway. So the meniscus cartilage, that cushion cartilage, we have a whole other episode on meniscus injuries, but there's a cushion cartilage, one on the inside medial, one on the outside lateral, a meniscus, a rubbery gasket structure that absorbs shock in the joint. It gives feedback neurologically, so proprioceptive feedback, we call it. It helps nourish the joint, uh, but primarily a shock absorber. And when you have an unstable knee or a knee that doesn't have an ACL or a ligament doing what it's supposed to, which is to stabilize the joint, you put the risk or you put the meniscus at risk of injury. Oftentimes it's injured at the same time that the ACL is injured. You know, same injury mechanism. Uh, but if not, and you choose not to have your ACL reconstructed, uh, that meniscus may be at higher risk for injury. Uh, the uh, literature shows that you might also be at a higher risk for arthritic change in your joint because of the mechanics that change when you lose a ligament. So the cartilage that coats the bone, the end of the femur, the top of the tibia, the back of the kneecap, all uh, could potentially wear out or 
you could fall into a category of arthritis. That's what it is. Loss of that coating cartilage is arthritis. Uh, with an ACL deficient knee, if you do not have the knee reconstructed. So those are those are kind of the top two. And then, and then obviously the chronic instability, the, the distrust that may be there. You may be able to train your muscles. And if you live a lifestyle that doesn't have a lot of cutting or twisting or starting and stopping or rotational activities, if you say, look, I'm a, I'm a recreational bicyclist. That's what I like to do. Or I like to walk on the path near my house on it's a paved path. It's relatively flat. You know, that's the level of activity that you have chosen for your lifestyle. That's awesome. That's great. You may do fine without an ACL and you may not have the increased risk for a meniscus tear or arthritis like someone who is more active, more aggressive uh, with their activity. So could you treat this without surgery? Absolutely. Do you need a brace or something else? Probably wouldn't hurt if you choose to be more active. And I definitely would encourage a physical therapy follow-up or or at least guidance and coaching to optimize the strength around the joint so you can maybe substitute a bit of the stability uh, that you're losing from the ACL with you know musculature and being um, being able to fire those muscles when you need them if you get in a situation where your knee may go further than you want it to. But absolutely a non-operative option for an ACL injury is reasonable. Uh, typically a little bit less active, um, specific activities, a little bit, you know, maybe older patient that just doesn't have that, uh, that demand on their knee, like maybe a younger athletic patient would. Obviously, this is something that you would talk with your uh, treating physician or PA or PT or whoever's, whoever's in charge of your, uh, your recovery or rehabilitation after the initial injury, talk to them about it and, uh, you know, get full input from their uh, impression of everything that's going on, not just the ACL injury. All right, but if you choose, or and it's your choice to, to have surgery, then you're going to be asked or put in a situation where uh, you need to decide, hopefully you get to decide, what graft option is used. So the ACL is injured, it's torn. There's a couple scenarios where we can keep your native ACL in your knee. One would be that avulsion in that young kid, where I talked about the bone failing down usually on the tibia. Oftentimes, that's a kind of a totally different scenario, but we would go in and basically fix that bone piece back down to where it came from. Oftentimes, we're passing sutures or stitches through a little drill holes in the bone uh, and pulling it down, just anchoring it back down until it has a chance to heal down. Uh, that's kind of a unique scenario, but that's, that's one option where, again, you don't have to have that ligament reconstructed. It's not the ligament that failed. It's the bone that failed. So we fix the bone. You could have on the opposite end, and this is in more of the uh, adult population, an avulsion of the ligament off the femoral. The, so remember, there's a there's an arch between the two condyles, the two bumps or, or balls on the end of the femur. Uh, those are called the condyles. There's an intracondylar, so between the two condyles, notch or arch, and the ACL attaches to the uh, to the wall of the outside arch. Difficult to describe, but it's out there. Um, <clears throat> if it pulls off that part of the bone. Uh, and you get to the surgery within the first four to six weeks, I'll say, and that will vary per patient and per surgeon's preference. Sometimes we can repair that ligament back to where it came from. Uh, the mid-substance tears are not necessarily repairable or as successfully repaired, with one caveat I'll talk about in a, sep in a second. Uh, but we can repair or repull that uh, evolved ligament that came off the femur back up. So we prep the bone a little bit, kind of roughen it up so it's a bleeding I always use the analogy of a fertilized soil in your garden. We're going to prep it before we, we you know, plant our seeds. We're going to prep that bone, kind of roughen it up, and then pass some sutures through the ligament itself. 
and then reattach that ligament to the bone with an anchoring system, often much like what we'd use for a reconstruction uh, on that side of the joint. Uh, that's called an ACL repair. There's another option for repair when the tear is a little bit further down. So say you tore it, there's a little piece still on the femur, there's a bigger piece maybe on the tibia, maybe two thirds of the way through. Uh, in the past, we would say, no, that's something that needs to come out. We can't sew that together. It's not going to heal. And if it heals, it's not going to be strong enough and it likely would fail, which I think is true. But now in the last 15 years, maybe, and it's getting more refined, there's something called a BEAR, B-E-A-R procedure, a bridge enhanced repair uh, of the ACL, where we put a, a matrix of uh, collagens. It's, it's the, the structure looks almost like a dowel. Um, it looks like bone really, but it's, it's a dowel of, of collagen or, or a matrix of collagen that can be implanted in the joint between those two edges of that tear and help bridge that gap between the two and ideally in the, in the outcome we're looking for, heal or bridge that back with some collagen or some tissue that mimics the ACL and gives you support and stability like a native ACL. The more recent research, I just read something you know, a few days ago on this, uh, looks to be more promising than initially. Um, and uh, it's something that has been slow to take, uh, you know, take on or be taken on as far as a mainstream treatment option, but it's definitely out there. And there are surgeons out there that are, are pursuing that as an option for a repair scenario. Came out of Boston, Boston Children's. Uh, it's an incredible procedure when it works. Uh, you put that little bridge in there, that little uh, matrix in there, and then some blood is injected into that area that helps helps kind of uh, form a clot, if you will, between the two edges of that of that torn ligament. And then over time, it will heal back with ligament-like tissue to give you a functioning ACL. Again, that's a fairly niche way or niche way of doing this. Um, find someone who does it a lot. If you ever think about this as something you want for you or your your loved one, make sure you find you know, a surgeon that's very comfortable doing this. Um, I worked with a surgeon, I believe it's 100%. You never want to be the first and never want to be the last of a procedure. So find someone who does a bunch of these. And um, again, it's a reasonable option in the right scenario. You may not be a candidate for it, but it's a, a great option in the right scenario. So those are the two uh, really repair options. So a proximal tear, ligament pulls off the bone, we can put some sutures through it and basically sew it back to that fertilized or prepared bone or this bare procedure for more of a mid-substance or intra-substance tear uh, in the right scenario, in the right hands. Okay, all that being said, the gold standard or the typical recommendation is going to be an ACL reconstruction. And what that means is we're going to take out the old ACL. So we go in there uh, arthroscopically or through little poke holes with a camera and tools, and we remove the failed or the torn ACL ligaments. We just get rid of them. If we can't repair them, there's no reason to keep them in there. Uh, we just get rid of them. When we do that, it leaves a little footprint or a little mark on the femur on the top and then the tibia on the bottom where it attached. So we want to use those as guides to placing your new ACL graft or replacement ACL. So the question now comes to what is the best option to use for graft material? And there are several factors that come into play that really dictate one direction or another. The age of the patient. So if you're a young person, let's say below the age of 30, and you have an ACL injury, we would tend to lean towards the autograft, which means we're taking tissue from you moving it into a different place, into your knee in this case, and creating a new ACL. If you're older patient, let's say you're 50 or above, 
then you become a candidate for an allograft or a graft that comes from a cadaver source or another source. And we put that into uh, reconstruct your ACL. The reasoning with age is that there's a tendency, the literature supports reasonably strong, that there's a tendency if we use an allograft, the cadaver graft in a younger patient, especially a teenage patient, uh, the failure rate is significantly higher than if we used an autograft. There's many things that likely come into play there. We don't need to get into that here, uh, but those are the, the generalized uh, concepts that we use. The younger the patient, we stay away from the allograph. The older the patient, it becomes a better option. And then we can flip that. The younger the patient, we consider an autograft. And then the older patient, we can still do autographs, but they might be better candidates for the allograft. And this is just a general statement from my experience, but I think it falls along the general orthopedic surgery um, thought process anyway. So we have autographed from you, allograft from a different source, and then we have different options. What tissues could we transfer over in the allograft scenario? The gold standard, what's been around the longest and what other options are compared to is something called the patellar tendon. So your kneecap, your patella, just off the most inferior, the, the, you know, the furthest down on the patella, uh, that's what we call the inferior pole of the patella. And at that inferior pole, there'll be a piece of bone that's removed. Uh, and I'm just going to make something up here as far as size because it'll vary patient to patient. But in general, it's about a centimeter and a half, maybe two centimeters long and about a centimeter wide. And we don't go down all the way to the joint. You just go down, you know, let's say, uh, almost, a, almost a centimeter, maybe, maybe you know, eight, nine millimeters. And a piece of bone comes out. We follow that down so it's a centimeter wide. We take the tendon, which is attached to that bone, all the way down to the tibia where it attaches. And we take another piece of bone from there, roughly the same size. So in the end, you have a piece of bone, a tendon attached to it, and then another piece of bone. So it's called a bone, tendon, bone, or a patellar tendon graft. That's a good option. That's a gold standard. That's what's been used for many, many years. And we can reconstruct your ACL with that graft. There's another graft option of a hamstring tendon. So your hamstrings are the muscles on the back of your leg. The tendinous structure, again, the tendon is what attaches the muscle to the bone, wraps around the inside of your knee and attaches to the front kind of inside of your shin bone, just below the knee joint itself. We can lift off usually two of those tendons, lift them off the bone, and then strip them back up to the muscle where they, where they kind of blend into the muscle and take that tendon and reconstruct your ACL with that. A third option, which is maybe a newer option, but it's been around for quite some time, is a quadricep tendon graft. So not below, but above the kneecap, we can take either just tendon, or some people will take a little piece of bone from the top of the kneecap, uh, but you can take a piece of the tendon there, the quad tendon, which is quite thick and strong. Again, about a centimeter wide and about a centimeter deep and maybe six or, or seven centimeters long, um, depending on the patient. Um, we take that quad tendon out and use that for a graft. So those are the three most common autografts, patellar tendon, hamstring tendon, quad tendon. Anytime we take a tendon to reconstruct a ligament with it, we have to think about a couple different options. One is, is it big enough, strong enough to, to do the job? And all three of those are very adequate to do the job. They're all, they're all very good graft sources when we look at the function of the ACL. Then we have to look at how do we fix that tendon into the 
two bones is going to, you know, it's going to cross the ligament crosses a joint. How are we going to fix that tendon into the tibia in this case, and then up into the femur and the fixation techniques at this point are, are really pretty good. And I'm going to say they're roughly equal for all the graphs that we talked about. We could get into the weeds and talk about details, but roughly they're equal regarding the fixation. So is that, are all those three options of an autograph, do they match those, you know, is it, is it a good quality tendon that's going to give you a good ligament in the end? Yes. Can we fix it in the bones adequately long enough until the bone heals in there? Yes. The question is, is there morbidity or is there some side effect or negative or a con to using one over the other? And all of them have their own unique cons or downsides, depending on how you look at it. Historically, patellar tendon reconstructions in the past, in my opinion, have had anterior knee pain or kneeling pain. I believe if you have a good skilled physical therapist that understands this, that is a risk, but it's a risk that's been addressed for the most part. And that becomes, yes, it is a potential con, but it becomes, you know, relatively light as far as how, how heavily weighted that con is. The patellar tendon is strong. It heals back together. And if addressed in physical therapy and in surgery, uh, that kneeling or anterior knee pain or patellar tendonitis can be eliminated or decreased as far as severity and then eventually uh, becomes a non-issue. The hamstring graft, again, we're not taking any bone in that case. Uh, it is a tendon. There's different theories as to what happens to the area where we took the graft from. Does it grow back? Does it scar? Do the muscle bellies attach to an adjacent tendon? And they're, they're you know, use that for function. Uh, but there is potential for hamstring or knee flexion weakness when you take the tendon from uh, the end of the muscle, if it doesn't grow back or your body can't accommodate or, f or, you know, figure out how to, how to make adjustments. The quadricep graft is a big, thick graft. It probably has the most collagen or the most, you know, protein fibers in there to, to grow a new ligament. But the quad tendon is a, an important tendon for quad function, obviously, and quad weakness and pain in the front of the knee above the kneecap certainly can be a side effect or a con to taking the quad tendon for a graph. So all of them have pros and most of the pros are pretty equal. They're good, excellent resources for an autographed ACL, uh, but there's some downsides to each and every one of them, which are unique and need to be worked through and considered, but really based on the patient, who you are, your demands, and you know, what are you gonna, what are you gonna do with that, that leg afterwards when you're fully recovered? Are you in a quad dependent activity? Uh, where you really maybe don't want to take the quad tendon? Or are you in a kneeling position where you're constantly putting force on that patellar tendon? Well, then maybe that's not the best option for you. Are you, are you, are you a laborer or someone who works on their knees all the time? That may exacerbate or cause more symptoms there. It may not, but but these are things that you should think about and talk to your surgeon about or talk to the, you know, the, tr the team that's treating you and discuss at length so everyone understands and makes the right choice. So we can avoid those what we would call... Uh, harvest site morbidity or, or donor site morbidity completely if we just use a, a graft that comes from a cadaver, right? If we don't have to insult the body to get a graft tissue and we just used a cadaver graft, then uh, we, we can avoid that. And that's a great option for a lot of people. Again, the risks for failure are higher in our younger population than they are in our older population. Um, there are risks with cadaver 
tissues. Obviously, it's someone else's tissue. Uh, so they have to clean up the, you know, the tissue itself and get out any potential viruses or bloodborne pathogens or, you know, things that could cause disease or complications. And then your body has to be able to accept that tissue, uh, not only from a, you know, just an implant, but also it has to be able to heal and grow in. And the cadaver tissue is typically taken from the freezer in the operating room. Um, and so it's, it's truly needs to be, you know, quote, brought back to life end quote, if you will, uh, to create a new ligament. And there may be some issue with the, the transition from, you know, a scaffold basically of tissue going across the joint into a living functioning ligament, which is really what we want in the end. Um, obviously there's pros and cons to, to that as well, um, regarding treatment or excuse me, regarding uh, healing rates and, you know, uh, timing and success and all that. But uh, each of these are really good options. Even the repair options, those are excellent, actually. You know, the analogy I use when we talk about repairing a ligament that has evolved off the femur, uh, you know, simple brain mic here. I just think of if I were walking through the house at night and I tripped over the cord that plugs in the lamp and I unplugged the lamp, I don't have to go buy a new lamp. I don't have to get a new bulb even. All I got to do is plug the thing back in and instantaneously it will it will function like it's supposed to. If I plug back your ACL or the surgeon plugs back or repairs your ACL to where it came from, it's not going to be instantaneous. It has to heal and go through that process of healing. But you have all those fibers. You have all the ACL fibers that are already there. And if we can get things to heal adequately, the nerve fibers reconnect. The ligament is in the right spot. So the angle, the positioning is biomechanic, what your body's used to. There's no donor site morbidity. There's tons of pluses, but the restriction list or the qualification list is really pretty strict for that. So ideally, if we could repair it, we would. Most of the time we can't. So we'd look at these reconstruction options if a non-operative choice is not in your best interest. And real briefly, we'll talk about the recovery because every surgeon will have a different plan or different you know, protocol. And it, every patient will come with a different uh, set of injuries. You may have torn your meniscus that needs to be repaired or potentially removed. You may have torn your MCL, the medial collateral ligament that may be treated non-operatively, or it too may have a graft uh, that's used to, to reconstruct it at the time of your ACL. Uh, there's all sorts of different things that can happen that will impact your ACL recovery. So uh, we can get in the weeds really quickly on that if I try to, to cover all those. But basically, you need to work on your range of motion to get your knee fully straight and, and bent as far as you can. During the surgical procedure, I've never been with an orthopedic surgeon that didn't take the knee through a full range of motion, full extension and full flexion, straightened and bending, as far as the other knee would go, in the operating room after we've reconstructed the ACL. And the general theory is if that thing's going to fail, we want it to fail in front of our eyes so we can fix the failure. Uh, rarely, if ever, have I seen it fail. But I always hear the physical therapist and the patient saying, my knee won't move. I just can't get it to move. I understand, man. We have we have anesthesia on our side and you don't. Uh, but the knee is taken through a full range of motion so we know it's safe to go through that range of motion. That being said... Do not just say, Mike said that I can take my knee through full range of motion. If you have meniscus repair, other issues, then there's reason not to. But the ligament itself is likely not going to be what holds you back on range of motion uh, to a full degree. And eventually you'll get there. So full range of motion, follow your protocol. And um, depending on this on the procedure, possibly full weight bearing, you'll be in a brace or not a brace. It's, it's a controversy back and forth there, uh, but it takes time. And what's happening during the first, say, six weeks is that graft is starting to find its way. It's getting settled in. 
to the tunnels. We, we drill some tunnels, little sockets in the bone, both in the femur and the tibia, and fix the graft inside the bone and for a reconstruction. The repairs onto the bone, the reconstruction is basically pull the graft into a little socket and hold it there long enough until your body heals it there. That first six or eight weeks, it's kind of finding its way from six to 12 weeks, the bone should have healed in or around that graft. And then the graft goes through the goes through a transition period to become a normal ligament. And then say six to 12 months out, you're starting to get back to full activities. Some people are sooner, some people are later. There's so many variables. Don't compare yourself. Don't say, well, my doctor's quicker because X, Y, and Z. It's patient dependent. Yes, the surgeon has an influence on the recovery, uh, but there's healing that needs to take place in these scenarios. And that's that just, that's time driven. So uh, we'll work on your motion. We'll work on basic strengthening. We'll be you know, get you back to easier activities like riding a stationary bike, walking in a straight direction. Then we'll start adding some some more aggressive turning, twisting, and uh, bending activities, and eventually fa- transition back to more of a functional act, you know, program, getting more dynamic with your activities as time goes by. And really, I could say as healing goes by, you need to regain your range of motion, you need to regain your strength, you need to regain normal biomechanics of walking and then running. Uh, there's all sorts of steps that go to the rehab program that are really critical. So um, I would definitely encourage uh, you know, finding a good physical therapist that you can communicate with, that you understand, that you like being around. Those are keys to success for any recovery, but especially with big things like an ACL reconstruction. You're going to spend a lot of time with this person. You might as well like what they're doing and enjoy that time while you're getting better. So that is a quick overview, although it took two two. Uh, shows here. That's a quick overview of an ACL injury and the surgical versus non-surgical options that you have. It's a a tough injury to go through. It happens a lot, um, but patients do well, uh, follow the physical therapy, follow the recommendations, but go into, you know, this injury, if it's, if something that you suffered or someone you know suffered, you know, hope this, uh, the past two episodes here have given you a a bit of a background, a bit of a foundation to have an elevated and an educated discussion uh, with your surgeon or with your treatment team. So you know what they're talking about and they understand that you also have a firm grasp on what you're getting into uh, and you guys can work as a team to get better. So I hope that answers your questions. As always, topics, T-O-P-I-C-S at H2Orthopedics with an S on the end dot com uh, is a great place for you to send an email uh, with topics, questions, suggestions. Uh, if I've missed something or if I if you didn't answer your question, throw it in there. Happy to come back and add to this podcast or start another one of just Q&As. Um, and you can also get to our website at h2orthopedics.com. And there is a form on there you can fill out with basically the same options to uh, to share information with us. I, I appreciate it. That's that's my job here. That's what I that's what I started this for. I want to help you understand. And H2O is to make your uh, decision-making crystal clear. A little pun on the H2O thing there. Uh, but that's why we're here. We want to make sure you understand what you're what you're dealing with and the questions that you may have not had answered uh, at your visit and now are those that you can answer yourself. So there we are. In the meantime, until we talk again, please do your best to stay healthy, stay active, and put a smile on someone else's face. Take care. Hey, it's Mike here. I hope this episode is helping you out and answering some questions. If I'm not hitting every topic right on for you, if there's something specific that you have about your injury, 
uh, or you want to discuss unique findings on the exam or your history, your MRI, your x-rays, whatever it might be, head to our website at h2orthopedics.com and scroll to the bottom for an opportunity to sign up for a virtual visit where we can either have a Zoom call, we can do a telephone call, whatever it might be, and we can discuss the specifics of your injury in more detail and hopefully get the answer you're looking for. Again, that's h2orthopedics.com. Scroll to the bottom for the virtual visit, and I will talk to you then.